motivators. What's happening? Hey, I hope that you can hear this. This is going to be a book plug for Alan Watts, You're It. It's called On Hiding, Seeking, and Being Found. So this is the subtitle. This is just a few, uh, maybe a minute of him. Um, it's essentially a lecture recording of him. I guess I'm under the impression Alan Watts is a philosopher with a lot of Eastern influences, um, Buddhism and such. But very knowledgeable guy. Very nice cadence to his voice. I'll let you hear it there for about a minute, and I'll cut back in and tell you why I like it. An awful lot of it. And that's what we live in the middle of. And the purpose of being human is, we feel, to subjugate nature. To make it obey our will. And we arrived here, we don't feel that we belong in this world. It's foreign to us. In the words of the poet Hausman, I, a stranger and afraid, in a world I never made. And so all around us today, we see the signs of man's battle with nature. I'm living at the moment in a marvelous house in the Hollywood Hills. And we are overlooking a lake. And on the other side of the lake, the whole hill has suddenly been interrupted with a ghastly gash where they have made level lots for building tracked homes of the kind you would build on a flat plain. This is called the conquest of nature. These houses will eventually fall down the hill because they are causing soil erosion and they're being maximally stupid. The proper way to build a house on a hillside is to do it in such a way as to effect the minimum interference with the nature of the hill. After all, the whole point of living in the hills is to live in the hills. There's no point in converting the hills into something flat and then going and living there. You can do that already on the ground. So people, the more people live in the hills, the more they spoil the hills, and they're just the same as people living on the flat ground. I mean, how stupid can you get? Well, anyway, this is one of the symptoms of our phony sense of identity, of our phony feeling that we are something lonely, locked up in a bag of skin, confronted with a world, an external alien, foreign world that is not me. Now, according to certain of these great ancient philosophies like Buddhism, this sensation of being a separate lonely individual is a hallucination. It's a hallucination brought about by various causes, the way we are brought up, uh, being the chief of them, of course. I remember as a Okay, so hopefully you were able to hear that. Had some issues uh, running apps, audio apps on my... Uh, simultaneously on my phone with the this, my podcast, my Anchor podcast app. So hopefully you're able to hear Alan Watts, one of his lectures. 
Uh, may God or Buddha or whoever the hell rest his soul. I believe he's dead at this point in time. But he did a lot of lecturing. He's got a, a lot of cool material on YouTube. This is my second time around with this book. And I'm, you know, when you read a book and you're like, oh, that was really good. And then you revisit it a while later and you're like, ah, I remember all this shit. I'm kind of, I got the gist of it. I'm done. I've extracted all that I can from this. Well, this isn't one of those books because I did revisit it and um, after, I guess, getting it a couple months ago. And honestly, I'm finding new little snippets of information every time I, I listen to a, a piece of it. So right there he's talking about how man is on this, um, this quest to level the playing field, to render everything flat, to take away all of the peaks and valleys, and just, we just want peaks, we don't want any damn valleys, so if we're going to be building houses, we're going to take this beautiful hilly landscape, and we're going to bulldoze it flat, and we're going to force our will on this world, and he's talking about how that's a problem, because it's just not realistic to have you know, completely flat world, this, this earth, the earth's crust on which we stand and operate and live, inhabit, it's got peaks and valleys everywhere, and life has peaks and valleys, and uh, metaphorically, we're talking about the ups and downs of life, like we want the happiness, all happiness and no sadness, we want all sunny days and no stormy days, uh, we want all good and, and and no bad, and it is like our mission that, oh, I had a bad day, it's horrible, and it doesn't feel good to have a bad day, when shit comes your way, it doesn't feel great, true, but we only understand that there is a good, it was a good day, because you endured some shit in your freaking previous days, And so that's just life, and we want to write off, we're like on this endless pursuit of writing off and negating anything that is bad. We want all white and no black, depending upon the time point in history, it was literal, right? But we we just want purists, you know, we want a smooth ride, without any fluctuations, and maybe that's a perfectly normal human tendency because we're trying to maintain some, stabil- maintain some stability in a very difficult world. But it's not realistic. It, set, it sets us up for disappointment when we expect to be flying on cloud nine every day. There are going to be struggles. But the struggles kind of... They make this life an adventure. What else does Alan talk about? I mean, I just love, I love his philosophy. Uh, I know that some people might find it over their head or whatever, because he was heavy in Buddhist influences. He does talk a lot about Eastern philosophy, but I've always loved Eastern philosophy, the notion of balance, you know? It seemed like in, since Eastern philosophy is older, Buddhism and stuff, and stuff, Hinduism, these are comparatively old religions, I believe. So, been around for thousands of years. Maybe they've learned a little bit more. Maybe we can't uh, have a simplified version of life and then we have to kind of give and take and try to find the balance in all things. Um, 
Alan talks about how the, com- the uh, comparison between when we do something and when something happens to us, right? So how can I provide an analogy for this? So we, we have control, voluntary control over our actions, and to some degree, our thoughts, and our thoughts can become our actions. But sometimes, and all the time, in fact, we only take those actions, those deliberate, voluntary actions, because something happens to us, something that is completely out of our control. So we can get up in the morning and roll out of the rack and make our bed. There's a lot of that. You hear about people, oh, you know, first thing you can do is fucking roll out of the rack. I'm a Navy SEAL, former frickin' general, frickin' admiral. You gotta fucking make your bed in the morning. And it's true that that's a great, you know, it'll feel good. If you get up and you get some shit done, get up early, and you accomplish some things... You set yourself up. You prepare yourself for the event, just the eventuality. The next thing that's going to happen when you roll out of the rack, which is when something happens to you that is not within your control, that may not be expected. A traffic jam, a change to your work schedule, um, an illness, uh, a crime, whatever. Some things are beyond our control, and there are, there are countless quotes to this effect. There's the Lord's Prayer, something along the line of, or some prayer, I cannot, there are some things I cannot control, uh, let me let these things go, or whatever. Because there's some shit you just can't do nothing about. But we are fixated on removing the possibility to try to organize out our world and to some degree, uh, so, so as to prevent any bullshit, and to some degree, it's just not possible to, to render our world flat. You know, we don't walk around on some vanilla, <clears throat> terrainless world where everything is flat, there's no bumps in the road, there's no imperfections. It's just not the way of the world. So we have to be prepared, physically and mentally, ready for the reality that shit is going to go wrong. And we, we do have the power to take action in response to that shit. And arguably, that is what we do every day, right? We take life as it comes. We have no choice but to do that. And if you expect a rose garden... You're not gonna fucking get that, man. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get no bumps in the road, no obstacles in your path. So expect that shit. And the, the wisdom that this guy has, I just love it. I'm sure it was recycled from philosophers, you know, eons before he even muttered, uttered these things. But very, very good book called You're It. He talks about, uh, further he talks about how when people, he has an argument with people. Like, there's no front, there can be no front without a back, right? There can be no top without a bottom. Let's say you you disagree with somebody 
Well, it's a good thing, especially if you've if you've thought out your your views on a particular topic or maybe research them and you know what you're talking about. It's a good thing. You should thank those people that you disagree with because they give you an opportunity to look at something from a different angle. They also make you make your philosophy they validate it. Because this is see it's like see now this is my point. This is why I believe what I believe. This is why I'm saying this is the case. This is why the chicken crossed the road because you know this is what's going on in this particular scenario. And so we look at people of differing viewpoints and lifestyles and people who don't look like us, we look at them as a threat, as a, um, you know, an affront to our being. And it's just not like that, you know. Black implies white. White implies black. Front implies that there is a back to something. A beautiful sunny day is only recognized because you've freaking sat in the rain. You think about it, you know, one thing that I'll, and I'm almost home, but I really want you to check out this book. And if you don't want to shell out the, you know, whatever, a few dollars for an Audible membership, I have one for $15 a month, and I use the hell out of it. And sometimes I get a good book with an excellent narrator, and I love it. And other times I get a book, and I'm like, eh, I'm just not into it. But it's pretty affordable. There's also... However, on YouTube, you can get the lectures from Alan Watts, and there's a variety of topics, and it's really the same thing, I believe. But I th- it's really helped me. Uh, for some reason, at midlife here, or maybe predictably at midlife, 40, I'll be 44 this year, I'm starting to ask some questions and really ponder, you know, with kids in this world, with, um, the daily struggles that we all have with the victories and the defeats and the whole nine yards, start to wonder more about this world and the big questions of life. And he's really helped me clarify and come to come to uh, terms with my worldview. Let's see, what else does Alan say? A lot of it's just fucking really, really good. He talks about... Uh, Again, the things that we do and the things that happen to us, and that uh, you know that one prompts the other. The things that occur to us beyond our control prompt a response. He uses an, an analogy about breathing: how we breathing is a unique thing, unique activity. Because, I mean, if left up to your own devices, your you know your brainstem keeps your respiratory rate and your heart rate and. Um, stroke volume, all that stuff. All this stuff is automatically programmed into our nervous system. So we don't need to think about breathing or our heart beating. But we can also, if we choose to, we can control these things. We can take some deep breaths, change our respiratory rate. And this in turn can, depending upon the oxygen and the stimulus, uh, neurologically from our breathing phrenic nerve and the vagus nerve and all that we can change our nervous system our neurology so that's pretty neat that by tapping into our voluntary control of our breathing 
belly breathing, yogic breathing. You can find all this shit on YouTube or in various meditation apps, mindfulness meditation. We have control, but also there's an involuntary action involved in breathing and heart rate and temperature regulation, hormonal fluctuation, etc. To a degree, we have a control over these structures and functions, but to a very large degree, we do not. They're automatic. We don't need to think about them. And so... Think about the body and and the mind and our being on this earth and ponder the things that we can control and the things that we just can't control. Another thing that I was, I was thinking about when um, Alan was talking, he's saying that, you know, we think that there's an inside and there's an outside, so um, to the body. So we've got our insides, which are all of our vital organs are there, our heart, our lungs, our viscera, our intestines, our reproductive organs, our kidneys, our liver. And these um, are inside our body. <clears throat> and then there's the outside, the external world. We view the outside, anything that's not part of us, quote-unquote, as other. And we're just, we need to hold off the, you know, the... The torrents. We need to hold the line and prevent the outside world from getting in, from penetrating, from exerting its will on us. And once again, I can appreciate why people would, you know, we it's cold out, we got to dress up, stay warm, right? If it's hot out, we need to be able to take off some layers. Um, if it's hot out, we need our sweat mechanism to function. So when he talks about how essentially we view the world the external world, our environment as extra, as something that doesn't apply to us. You can think about climate change and our impact of trash and, and waste, uh, overpopulation, etc., on the environment. When in fact, humans are structured in a very simple body plan, similar to even the most simple of organisms like a worm. Worms and people are a tube within a tube. We call that a coelom, a coelom, C-O-E-L-O-M, coelom. So it means tube within a tube. That's what a worm looks like. Very simple heart, digestion, all that stuff. A worm is a tube within a tube. We can imagine that. But now think about your external body, your skin, and then everything within that your body cavities, like your heart, and lungs, liver, intestines. We are a tube within a tube. There's also one tube that stretches from our mouth to our anus. And that is how we get items from our environment nutritionally into our body. Break them down to tiny little particles into chemi chemistry, proteins, carbs, and fats into their building chemical building blocks. And then we can incorporate the world, the things that we need from the world, water, nutrients, etc., oxygen, into our body. And so we are at one, I think, with our environment. And we can't discount the air we breathe and the food we consume and the um, solar radiation showering down upon us and the water we drink, all of these things. You know, we, we like to think of ourselves as separate. We're not separate. We're part of this whole thing. And our energy 
is commingling. It's touching one another. Really, when you break us down, all matter consists of molecules, chemicals, complexly bonding and interacting in various ways. Our whole world is chemistry when we're beyond the naked eye, smaller than the naked eye. And so when I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm touching you, I'm reaching you, I'm part of my environment. I may be sitting inside my car with the engine running, but we're all friggin' energy, we're all matter, vibrating at various frequencies and interacting in subtle ways that we can't even perceive. You know that, you know, there's only a very tiny uh, visible spectrum of light, so we can only see on a certain wavelength within a certain range. Bugs and other creatures can see, maybe using infrared, they see a different wavelength of light. So they can, you know, have an entirely different picture of the world than we do. Think about that. We have all these these five senses, three S's and two T's, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. And these are the tools, the instruments that we use that tap into our world and say, oh, that smells over there. It smells like a fart. Let's friggin' run away from that. Ooh, that smells like a cupcake. I'd like, sure like to fill my belly with that. That tastes really good. I need that in my diet. My body is, is seems to want this salt or this nutrient. Um, I can see, look how beautiful that is over there. You know, I can I have a clear picture of my world, the world around me. That feels good. I can feel the temperature of the environment. I can feel pain. I can feel an emotion. And so we are this nervous system that is like a software program operating and picking up information about the world in which we live. And we are so determined based upon the sensory information coming in, our response is to, we're going to level the friggin' ground. We're going to make, take all the peaks and valleys out and it's going to be flat in a perfect friggin' environment. And this is why we're fucking up. This is why, and we didn't know any better, right? If you think about the Industrial Revolution. Well, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that we've, we created the internal combustion engine and electricity and, and, um, all those, you know, uh, potable water and sanitation, sanitary sewers and the whole nine yards. I'm glad we, we attained these feats, accomplished these things. However, there has been an impact. Let's just look at the internal combustion uh, engine or our growing population when we, our agriculture sprouts up and all of a sudden we can feed all the mouths that we are producing sexually. Right? So now we've grown and we've infested this planet and we're taking from its resources. We are trying to extract infinite resources from a finite planet. There is a limit to that which we can take from this world. And now we need to start thinking, since we know it's more now than we ever have, 
about our impact. And we, first, we have to admit, of course, that we're having an impact on the world around us and that even our thought processes are very narrow and ignorant when it comes to the way that we deal with problems. I need to take the friggin' advice myself, my friends. I need to take it easy sometimes, too, and use my voluntary uh, breathing to not cut loose some mindfulness and chill the fuck out and manage my stress better. I want to be like a fucking monk, is what I say. Imperturbable by the environment, right? Thing is, though, I know a monk, a full-fledged monk that's been around and did um, meditation sessions until he, for so long that his freaking he, he ruined his knees. And a very wise individual that I respect very much. And I've seen him stress out. I've seen him have the same problems that you and I have. But he's thinking better. He's th thinking with greater clarity. He's open to other possibilities. And the, ultimately the notion of balance in this world. You can't have the good without the bad. You know, you can't think about that, that recipe we like where, you know, we want, um, on a film, let's say in the cinema, you know, the only, the hero is only the hero because there's some unknown presence out there, some villain that we don't even know about. We, it's, we're ignorant of it. And all of a sudden the villain arrives on the scene and somebody's got to save the day. We can only appreciate that, um, concept of, the hero saving the day because a villain exists. As crazy as that sounds, right? We all know wonderful people in our lives that we just love and, and care about so much. And they're only special because we know some shitbirds. Think about that. So we should be thankful on some level that those shitbirds exist. Yes, yes? Check out this book called You're It by Alan Watts or check him out on YouTube. <laughs>